everyone to the JD Power Travel Podcast. Uh, as always, uh, the host for your travel podcast are Andrea Stokes, who's the practice lead for hospitality at at JD Power. Hello, uh, Andrea. Hi. And Jenny Korn, who's the director of Consumer Insights, uh, works with a lot of different things, but she's also the main person for Consumer Insights for travel. Hello, Jenny Corwin. Hello. And I'm Michael Taylor. I'm the practice lead for travel, which uh, means airports, airlines, and rental cars for JD Power. So uh, the biggest topic I think that we have been asked about at JD Power, at least I know I have as a practice lead, has been the labor shortage and how the labor shortage is affecting the travel industry. And uh, I know that, uh, Andrea, you went to a lodging conference recently, and of course that was topic number one. So could you kind of give us an overview of of what you learned at this conference and also what you're seeing in the data and your own studies? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Yes. So returned from the lodging conference last week and, uh, you know, there were uh, senior leaders from the major hotel chains uh, there on um, often one or more panels. Uh, And of course, many topics um, were discussed around Oh, the business, the lack of business travel, the lack of group travel, but there is some uh, green shoots in terms of conference travel and meeting travel coming back a little bit. So that was a little bit of good news. Uh, But the number one issue I think that hoteliers are facing is um, the, the difficulty in finding workers. And uh, it's pervasive. Um, It doesn't matter if you're a large urban hotel in a downtown area or a small hotel in a rural area. Everyone, I think, is facing this issue equally. And there are a lot of, you know, I think hoteliers are really trying to come up with creative ways of attracting workers, as many other industries are. I think in particular for hotels, there's some talk about, um, you know, hiring workers almost as gig workers uh, where they come in and they might work for one day for a few hours um, or, you know, maybe a couple days a week. Um, they There's some talk around the idea of paying workers on a daily basis instead of you know, making workers wait a week or two weeks to be paid. Um, That came up as well. I think in general, you know, there was a general sense that the the hotel industry is really going to have to come together uh, and really do something to kind of attract new um, and younger people to the industry. There was a lot of discussion around what the the large companies could do, what schools, hospitality schools could do, um, and and how there really is uh, a lack, you know, really just a lack of coordination, I guess, across hospitality training schools and hoteliers to kind of come together and really figure out how to attract new people. Did they ask, did they talk about uh, what it's like to hire a person for a day? That seems like an awful lot of work. I mean, I imagine yes. that they'd have to be already experienced in the in the job 
Yes, that's that a really it? good question, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose they are looking for people maybe who do have experience, you know, maybe a housekeeper who has done housekeeping before in hotels. Um, you know, the fact is, is some of these creative solutions, though, do have issues with each one and they, they may not really be working. I think everyone expected, you know, when the government stimulus payments stopped, that there would just be this flood of, of workers returning to service industries in general, but hospitality in particular, and it hasn't happened. It's, it's not happening at all or not happening, happening as fast as I think everyone expected. I think a lot of the workers have gone on to do other things and, you know, find other jobs. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how long this this goes on. Um, but I think there's a real concern about service and guests getting the, you know, the service that they're expecting when they arrive at the hotel, if, if the hotel's understaffed. Obviously, there's a big concern around cost. I think in general, it's going to cost more for hoteliers to operate a hotel. I, I think it's costing more just to do anything today. <laughs> in, in my um, recent stays, I've got little notices that uh, you know your room won't be cleaned every day, which doesn't right. really bother me. Yes, <laughs> you know I, I think that's actually a good thing. I I generally mm -hmm. post the uh, you know hang on a little do not disturb thing for the, if I'm staying for multiple days because. Hey, I've yeah. got plenty of towels. I don't need any more towels. Sure. Um, yeah, and they're doing that, and that works. You know, it does save um, save time, and and it does save money. I think it. You know, there there's some hotels where that may not work as well. For instance, a luxury hotel where perhaps that type of guest is expecting housekeeping every day. But yeah, so in do you think hotels, it affects yes, that works? Mm -hmm. Do you think it affects satisfaction? To have not have the daily maid service or yeah like again I don't think it's it's probably an issue so much in limited service hotels but when you are staying in an upper upscale or luxury hotel and you're paying quite a bit you know a higher a, a higher rate actually to stay in those types of hotels you, your expectation is a little bit you know. I think more that you would get that kind of service every day. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I can also chime in here about the rental car uh, industry also is being affected by the labor shortage for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one of which is that, the, as we kind of mentioned before at the top of this and in previous podcasts and in this podcast, is that business travel is a little bit slow recovering. And, um, that means that uh, the high, there's a higher preponderance of people who are not frequent renters, don't bypass the counter. They actually go to the rental car counter. Uh, and uh, I can tell you personally, <laughs> my last trip, I waited 48 minutes because I uh, mis, um, mistook what I was, uh, the kind of reservation I had. I was expecting to have uh, premium service at a particular rental car company, and I didn't push that button, I guess, when I when I booked it, uh, even though I am a premium member, and I, my wife and I waited 48 minutes in line uh, to get a car. And they only had two people at the counter, sometimes only one, because I believe that same person was out 
uh, wrangling cars um, as they came back from cleaning. So she she was off and on at the counter. Uh, but this is also happening at, at a lot of, we see this in the data that, that we collect, is that people are waiting longer at rental car uh, counters. And then secondly, the uh, labor shortage affects repositioning of fleet. Um, and it's kind of one of those behind the th- scenes things that people don't think about. But um, it, the rental car companies, just like hotels and airlines, have a really good forecast. You know, they know how many cars they need on a particular day at, you know, a particular airport. And if that uh, demand exceeds the current supply, they just what they call reposition. They just hire, have, you know, staff that drives cars to another location and drops them off. And then they either take a bus back or someone drives them back uh, collectively uh, in a minivan or something. And they're having trouble getting those folks. So they're having trouble meeting the demand at particular airports, especially those leisure destinations in Florida and California and Oregon uh, at during separate times during the summer. And so they're going without having the normal amount of cars they normally would have at a location. Um, and that, of course, is affecting the price of cars um, and also uh, people's satisfaction. And Jenny, are you seeing anything that uh, any effects of the labor shortage in the data that you're, you've been looking at? Not too much just yet, but I, I think what we see happening could create the, the perfect storm in terms of customer satisfaction. When you think about this pent up demand and all of these people who've been saving up and waiting for this perfect trip that they've been dreaming about for almost two years now, it feels like, um, they they may be a little bit shocked to not receive that level of service that they're expecting. I think a lot of people will have some forgiveness. They understand that everything has a labor shortage right now, so like we're kind of getting conditioned. You, you know, I, I heard someone say they went to McDonald's and they were serving drinks and fries because they didn't have anybody else to do anything else, right? So I think we're getting conditioned, but at the same time, we've got all these people that were really excited to travel and they may be a bit disappointed. So... We'll have to see how that plays out, though. Yes, we—that's the the business that we're in, isn't it? So, <laughs> uh, Jenny, I thought we'd uh, transition to the uh, a different topic. Uh, once we one we don't really touch on an awful lot, and that's the online travel agencies or OTAs. And uh, you had brought uh, up a topic uh, in our discussion of planning this particular podcast about some rewards that an OTA. Uh, uh, changes to an OTA rewards program. I wonder if you could tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting to see these rewards and loyalty programs change and grow. And as we know from looking at our data, right, they, they can be a big contributor to satisfaction as well as, you know, brand choice and how, how customers are choosing where they're going to travel and who they're going to travel with and, and how they're going to book that trip. So what's particularly interesting is Expedia Group is is came out uh, last month, late last month, saying they're going to unify um, and expand their rewards program across all of their different brand properties. And that exclu- includes Expedia, Verbo, Hotels.com, Travelocity, Orbitz. So then they're going to have this new loyalty program that's really going to s- span almost the entire travel experience. If you think about all of the things you can book from all of those sites, from vacation rentals, um, you know, some of those alternative accommodations, um, through flights, hotels, uh, cars, cruises, even activities are being offered on some of these sites. So it's going to be a pretty all-inclusive loyalty program. Um, 
I'm, I'm really interested to see how this plays out and see how it affects other long-standing uh, loyalty programs if they're going to have to pivot a little bit based on uh, having something so comprehensive enter the marketplace. Do, do you happen to know what the basis of points is for them? How do they accumulate points and how do you spend them? I do not know. They haven't released a lot of details. Um, we know it'll be free to join, right? Um, you know, they just want your information. That's the, that's the cost to join any of these programs in most cases. Uh, I don't even know if there's tiers or anything like that, but you, and for right now, all the membership programs are remaining the same. You consider you to order your rewards, and I think some of them are dollars, is points, and I don't think any of them use, use miles or anything, so I, I think most of them are a, you know, a dollar-based conversion, but I'm not sure what that metric is. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you remember you and I answering an awful lot of questions about uh, how uh, reward programs work and what what is the main driving factors. And uh, one of the two things that we found in the JD Power data was uh, being able to understand how you accumulate points and also understanding how you can spend them. Uh, so I'm very curious to see if uh, they're going to take a simplified version of it uh, versus, say, the airline industry, which has been you know gone away from the straight miles. A uh, way to accumulate um, to a different kind of what kind of ticket did you buy and how much did you pay, and then all having to spend them is also a, a little bit you have to jump through a few hoops and or to spend some of your points as well. So I'd be very curious to see how that works out with the OTAs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we were telling them how to make that program, we'd tell them to keep it real simple. Keep it real simple. Yeah, that's the easiest thing to do, and it's quite understandable, of course, that uh, you know an airline wants to maximize their you know, ability to make revenue. Um, but it's uh, really detrimental to satisfaction and does affect loyalty uh, to the airline itself. If you can't figure out how to gain points or how to earn points, and then how do I spend them? I've got all these points and I, I don't seem to be able to spend them on anything I really want to spend them on. So our, uh, our third topic for this podcast is the recent release of JD Power data uh, for our syndicated airline or excuse me, airport study. Uh, which <laughs> was also a victim of the uh, COVID crisis. Uh, we have a you know a daily battle. I know that Andrea and I talk about this and the, deal with this quite literally every day of sampling and getting enough sample because uh, uh, you know Andrea, you have I don't know, it seems like hundreds of brands in the hotel study. It's not hundreds of brands, I don't think, but it's many dozens. And uh, I have about 66 airports that I try to track, and we were unable to get some of the smaller airports having a high enough sample size to create an award. But the winners, we had two category winners in the mega category. It was Miami uh, Airport, which has done a fantastic job over the uh, last few years, really rising from the ashes. If we had uh, looked at Miami's ranking 15, 20 years ago, we would have seen that Miami was very close to the bottom sort of like Detroit Metro. Um, and they have both risen to the top of the mega category on the JD Power rankings. And in the large category, um, the other winner uh, that was announced was MSY. Uh, and you may not recognize that three-letter code, not too many people do, but that is uh, New Orleans uh, Airport, Louis Armstrong Airport. And it uh, for one of the reasons they won is because they opened a brand new airport uh, in November of 2019. And having a new building does help. doesn't solve all your problems, as I tell our airport clients, but it does help quite a bit to have a new airport. But one of the things that uh, was common between these two winners was that they not only did the things well, you know, the airport was clean, it was relatively easy to access, um, you know, TSA didn't take an awful lot of time in both of these airports. 
but they all both had outstanding food, beverage, and retail services at, at their airports and have had outstanding food, beverage, and retail services for the past few years. And that's really necessary for a good airport to become a great airport, as we like to say. Uh, the final category that we normally award um, is the what we call medium airports. So those are airports under 10 million, but above 4 million. Uh, they're the relatively smaller airports in the 66 that we track. And we only had uh, quite literally a handful of uh, sufficient sample airports uh, to rank. Uh, but Indianapolis would have been the winner in that category. Um, and they would have had and they did have the highest score among all airports. And I believe this would have been the third year in a row that Indianapolis Airport would have won the award. So congratulations to all those airports, uh, Miami and Louis Armstrong, New Orleans, especially uh, fantastic job. And um, we also saw, you know, was high satisfaction scores for the average of the year. But we have made the proviso in our press release and also telling our airport clients that if you look at the trend, the trend is definitely down in satisfaction for a couple of different reasons, mostly having to do with greater number of people in terminals. And this is a problem that you want to have. You want to have more people in terminals than less people. Um, we saw during the height of the pandemic, the highest satisfaction scores we've ever seen uh, for airports. Uh, but that was at a cost of having no one in the airports and having very few goods and services available to them. But people were just thought it was wonderful that you could go into an airport that normally had was serving 45 million passengers a year. And it seemed like it was only serving 2 million passengers, but that's not a strategy for success. Um, but we're seeing the satisfaction come down. Uh, and then the labor shortage again is affecting uh, the goods and services that are available at the airport, especially the food, beverage, and retail. And airports are handling it in, in different ways. Some of them are just aren't opening, opening enough stores or shops. Uh, other airports are trying to get as a, a broader range of the stores open. For example, Denver has all of the storefronts are open part of the day, uh, uh, all except for one airport, uh, oh, excuse me, one airport location is not open during some part of the day. <clears throat> but if after 6 p.m., there's a real dearth of of uh, goods and services that you can take advantage of at, say, Denver. But so Denver is doing it a little slightly different than most other airports. So that is kind of the summary of the um, J.D. Power Airport study for 2021. Congratulations again to Miami and New Orleans. And with that, that we've reached the end of our latest podcast. I'd like to thank uh, Andrea and Jenny for providing all the information and insights they provide every podcast. Thank you very much. And I hope you join us for our next podcast. If you're interested in anything uh, that J.D. Power does, you can go to jdpower.com. You look in the upper right-hand corner, click on business, and you'll scroll down to travel. And you click on that, and you can see uh, the backgrounds of all the different studies that we undertake and uh, a lot of, all of our press releases and a great deal of information. So thank you again, and we'll see you at the next J.D. Power Travel Podcast. Mm-hmm.